Oh God, we come before your word now, a word that you have spoken, a word that is living and active, a word that we want to not only hear with our ears and understand with our intellect, but we want to take shape in our hearts. God, we want to learn to obey you. We want to learn to live in the way that you have so rightly designed. And so would you help us this morning as we come before your word to um, open our ears? Would Would you open our hearts? Would you open our eyes? to see all the wonderful things that you have for us this morning. Would you let everything else fall to the side? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Mark chapter 9, beginning at verse 30. They went on from there and passed through Galilee. And he did not want anyone to know. For he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days he will rise. But they did not understand the saying, and they were afraid to ask him. And they came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, What were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent, for on the way they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. And he sat down and called the twelve, and he said to them, If anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. And he took a child and put him in the midst of them, and taking him in his arms, and he said to them, Whoever receives such a child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. Thanks be to God for his word. This morning we're going to look specifically at verses 30 through 35, and there we're going to see uh, a real uh, focus that we can draw out on uh, three things. First is a humbling event. Second, pride displayed. And then third, true greatness defined. So first is a humbling event. In verse 30, they passed on through a region, through Galilee. And he did not want anyone to know. And it gives us the reason in verse 31. Why didn't he want anyone to know where he was going, where he was? Because obviously the crowds are constantly trying to press in on him, right? The crowds are constantly trying to get at him, trying to get access to this healer. And so he didn't want anyone to know is farther beyond just he wanted a little secret place and he didn't want to be touched or bothered anymore. But because of what he'd been beginning to teach, the message he is now proclaiming on a regular basis, if the crowd had heard it, what would have happened? They would have been exactly like Peter who had just tried to stop him. No! You will not suffer and die. No, our healer man cannot go away. No, you are our Lord and our leader. We need you here. And so he did not want them to know where he was because he's beginning to teach his disciples more and more about what it says in verse 31. For he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men and they will kill him. And so they would have tried to prevent that at every cost. They would have made a circle around him and a circle around that circle to say, no, no one's getting near to him. We're going to prevent this. But Jesus did not want this prevented. So he didn't want the masses to know. He didn't want those who might not yet have understood to know. Because even his dearest friend Peter tried to stop this, tried to hinder this. And so he didn't want the crowds to know of what he was now beginning to teach and what he was marching toward. What he's now more open and honest about was this humbling event. He's marching. This is Jesus, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the God who who created all things. This is Jesus, and yet it says he is going to be delivered into the hands of men. 
Somebody else is going to do something to him that usurps control and authority and power over him. And this is the way it is to be. But this is Jesus in this humbling event where he is wrongly accused. Where he is again and again lied about. Where people mock him. Where those who um, may have just been in the crowd before who were happy about him being near are now maybe a part of the mob mentality. It's humiliating as they flog him to a point of not being recognizable. His flesh was so torn and raw. Blood was so present on his face and his body. It was humiliating. They stripped him naked and made him carry his own instrument of death all the way through the crowds on full display, complete humiliation. Put him on public display in the exact same humiliation. Look at this. Look at how weak he is. Look at how submissive he was to us. Look at how much power we had and look how weak and frail he is. Embarrassing. Humiliating. This was the event that Jesus is saying, I'm marching towards this. This is what I'm going for and toward is, is humility at its greatest. Is humbling at its greatest. He was going to be delivered by someone else to other men. And they, it says, will kill him. He said it. They will kill him. They will put him to death. Though he has the power to call on a, an army of angels at any moment, they will kill him. This is humbling experience. And then, Jesus had just been saying this. And he, he says this, and then it's amazing because, um, verse 32, they didn't understand the saying. The very next verse, they didn't understand the saying. Why will, why will he be delivered? Who will deliver him? And to whom will he be delivered? And who's going to kill him? How will they have the power? How will we let this happen? Why has the Father planned this? They didn't understand the saying. Because he also spoke of his resurrection. He says, and, as he, and he will be killed and three days he will rise. Like, what? Why three days? How will you rise? They didn't understand and they were afraid to ask him. So then you would think as they travel on, the thing they might be talking about is what they don't understand. Like, hey, what do you think Jesus meant? That someone would, de would deliver him? Well, like, let's talk about that. Who's going who's gonna to deliver him? I mean, we're not going to let that happen. Or, or who's going to actually take him? Like, why aren't they talking about this? They're not. They're not talking about the most humbling event in all of history, the, the humility of their friend and their Lord and their Savior. They're not talking about the humility of him. Instead, we see... A great display of pride. A great display of pride. But what's amazing is the pride displayed does not only begin in verse 34 where it says they were arguing with each other about who was the greatest. Like, oh, I'm, uh, you know, well, I, I went to be with Jesus on the mountain. Did you go? Did you get to go to Transfiguration? Because I was there. Right? Who's the greatest? They weren't arguing about uh, the, oh, what don't you understand? They were arguing about who's better. Who looks best? Who is Jesus like best? Who's going to be nearest to Jesus? 
That's what they were arguing about. But the pride didn't just start there in the open uh, statements of, well, I'm the greatest, clearly. Peter, James, and John. Look, we went. Did you? Were you at the mountain for the transfiguration? You weren't? Oh, see ya. You're definitely not the greatest. So then between the three guys, maybe they're arguing, well, yeah, but you know he called me first, right? First. What are they arguing about? That's not the, the first display of their pride. Their pride does not dis- uh, begin to display itself in this open um, saying of greatness. It actually begins in verse 32. That's where their pride begins. They did not understand and they were afraid to ask. The person who lacks understanding about something and is aware of that and yet is unwilling to ask for clarification or for help or for teaching, that is a proud person. That is, that is pride on display. A person who knows that they don't know but is unwilling to ask is a proud person. Perhaps that's like you. This person is not openly boasting about all of their gifts and abilities. They're not openly boasting about their greatness. Instead, they keep silent. Because if they speak up, they're going to look dumb. And what is that but pride? They care too much about what others think of how they look. How they appear to others. This person is indeed self-focused. And that's what pride is. This person says, well, how am I going to feel? How am I going to look? How am I going to sound if I say this or question that or if I admit I don't know something? What will people think of me? This person is proud because in the moment, the person they are thinking about most is themselves. Is themselves. That is pride. As much as they are outwardly silent in a moment, that silence is yet showing their self-focus. Perhaps you struggle this way. And it's not just about this narrow example of the person who never admits they don't understand uh, or never asks for help like men with directions. That is a pride problem. These are examples of pride for sure, but it doesn't just stop there. This is the same type of pride, self-focus, that when a person is praised, they deflect. They deflect the praise. They try to downplay or diminish the compliment Oh, no. Oh, no, that's not that great. Oh, oh, no, this. Oh, no, that. Make everything so little. What sometimes happens in these cases is as the person not wanting for their name to be on display, not wanting for them to receive recognition and praise, they try to make their life and their accomplishments and their blessings look small and insignificant so that people don't pat them on the back. What happens when you make your blessings and your gifts look small is that the God who gave those gifts, the abilities, the strengths, the blessings, the the working through you to accomplish X, Y, or Z, that he, the source and supplier of those things that someone's praising, he's also diminished in your speech. When you try to make the the thing look little, when someone's praising you for something, you say, oh, no, 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 it's nothing. Oh, no, no, it's really rubbish. Oh, it's this and this. You actually diminish the God who gave that gift. You diminish, like... You should be saying, yes, indeed, that is amazing, and it is a gift of God. It is from God. But instead, we, in our pride, well, we don't want to be the focus, and so we actually become the focus overall. Well, how will I feel if they put my name in lights? How will I feel if they pat my back? I don't want to feel that way, so I'm going to get what I want. That's pride. A person who tries to diminish things and, oh, pity me, oh, no, everything's not good, that person is proud too because they're focused on themselves. They diminish their God in the process. 
That's why pride is devastating to the Christian life, both in the silent form and in the boastful form. It is a person who is focused on themselves. But that's why Paul, when he was in his weakness, said something different. In, in 2 Corinthians 12, he said, Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly in weakness, in my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. I'll boast of my weakness. Like, it's not about me. And, oh, yeah, look how sad and, and pitiful I am. But instead, yes, I am weak. But look at the power of Christ in this weak vessel. Yes, you're seeing that. You're seeing that power, and that's what you're recognizing. And you're trying to pat me on the back, but I ought to tell you, it's through my weakness, it's through my brokenness, it's through my dependence that God is actually on display. And so I want to boast in that. Yes, I am weak, but yet he is strong. There was boasting from Paul. It wasn't in himself. It wasn't for himself. It wasn't self-preservation or stop looking at me. Instead, it was, yes, I'll acknowledge what you're saying. You, you may think, Paul, you might have heard, wow, you're an incredible preacher, Paul. He would have said, praise God that you, you hear that and think that because I'm so broken. And I, am so, I was such a Pharisee that, that I couldn't even speak grace off my lips. And you're hearing grace from me? Praise God for that. My weakness has become a place where he can display himself all the more. That's why he says, I will boast all the more gladly in my weaknesses. He didn't try to diminish the very things that people saw in him. He didn't try to diminish what others may have noticed, what others may have said about him. He said, I will boast all the more gladly in my weakness or of my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. That comes out of the answer when Paul, struggling with a thorn in his flesh, a trial of a physical sort, he asked God to take it away and God's answer was no. Because God said this to him, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. My power is displayed. My power is, is grown and shown in weakness. So Paul responds with, well, if that's the case, then I'm going to boast in my weakness. I'm not going to try to diminish things and try to hide behind this or that. I'm going to boast all the more gladly because your power is made perfect. Your, your power is on display. Praise God that I'm a weak vessel. So that's what he did. He didn't try to diminish anything. Paul learned that because in his weakness, in his frailty, everything that is good, he can use as an opportunity to point people to Christ. He doesn't have to say, woe is me. No. Instead, he says, wow, look at him. That's what he does. That's what he does in his weaknesses. This display of pride in the disciples here is sad. It is sad. Jesus had spoke of something beautiful, something necessary, something difficult to grasp. And yet, they and still many today, in their pride, will not say, I don't understand. I don't know if I get the gospel. I don't understand how, how my sin can actually be forgiven through this event. How is it that Jesus can die in my place and yet now I'm free? How can that be? How is it fair? How is it just? How is justice served? How isn't it that I still have to pay for the rest of my sins? How does this all work? And because of that, sometimes people are so caught up with the things they don't understand, they won't admit it, and they'll never pursue it. Some people have been Christians for 20 years, gone to church, their, or been Christians, gone to church their whole life maybe, but are maybe unwilling in their pride to admit, I don't really understand the gospel. I don't know if I really know Jesus like the Bible describes. But in pride, a person who says, well, what would people think of me? I've gone to church for 20 years. What would people think of me if I said that I just was saved now? 
20 years going to church and now I become a Christian? Like I've been telling people for 20 years I was a Christian. How embarrassing would that be? So a lot of people in their pride, this kind of pride say, I'm not going to bring that up. I'm not going to ask questions. I'm not going to come out and say, hey, I need help coming to faith. You're like, What are you talking about? You've been in church 20 years. You said you're a Christian. People's pride blocks them from that. This kind of pride that the disciples are struggling with here. This silent pride, this pride that is unwilling to admit weakness and frailty so that God might be at work in them. This is the kind of pride that won't cry out like the father last week that we looked at who said, help my unbelief. Openly, I want to believe, I'm struggling to believe. Help me. These disciples are saying, nope. We're strong. We're the disciples, right? Like, we're near Jesus. If we admit that we don't understand something, or we're weak, or we may not even be near him or love him, well, that's going to, you know, we're going to look bad. So in their pride, they kept silent. And I, I fear that many people do that in the church. You know, whether it's through salvation or not, whether it's the, you know, you understand the gospel or not, it might be through other things. Like, I just never understand how I'm supposed to do X, Y, or Z as a Christian. But, man, I've been a Christian so long, it'd be, it'd be embarrassing to mention It'd be embarrassing to say that I've never read the Bible and I've been a Christian for 30 years. So I don't want to ask for someone's help. Like that's, that, that is pride. And it is, it is hurting Christians or, or even people who might become Christians. It is harming them and it is robbing God of glory because in your weakness, he might be displayed. So if that's you, if you struggle with anything, a lack of understanding of even going like, I don't even know if I have ever truly repented of my sins and trusted my life fully to Jesus, don't bury that and say, oh, I'll just, I'll just kind of pretend the rest of my life. Don't do that. In pride, do not do that. But in humility, like Christ, come before and say, I'm weak, I don't understand, I'm frail, and I need God. Don't be like these disciples in this example with a silent but deadly pride. But it goes on from there. Their pride wasn't just inward and silent. They weren't just arguing. Uh, um, they weren't trying to discover the right things. Instead, they were arguing about who indeed was the greatest. This is normally what we think of when we think of pride, right? The outward boasting of a person. Look how great I am. Look at my accomplishments. Pat me on the back. Put my name in lights. Recognize me. That's the pride we normally think of is someone who thinks they're great. And that was also on display in these disciples. Sometimes it's on display in us. But that's not the place of a Christian. It's a pharisaical kind of pride, right? The Pharisees did this all the time. Look how religious we are, was the, was the banner of the Pharisees. Look at us. Look at how holy I am. Matthew 23, verses 5 to 12 Jesus has been telling his disciples, don't be like them, the disciples. Don't be like the, the Pharisees. And he goes on after this passage to say, woe is them. Woe is them. They themselves are children of the devil and they're leading people to hell, is what he says following this passage. But he says, don't be like these Pharisees. He says, they do all their deeds to be seen by others. For they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long. And they love the place of honor at feasts. And they love the best seats in the synagogues. And they love the greetings in the marketplaces and being called rabbi by others. But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher, and you're all brothers. And no man is to be called father on earth, for you have one father who is in heaven. Neither call yourself instructors, for you have one instructor, the Christ. The greatest among you shall be your servant. And whoever exalts himself will be humbled. But whoever humbles himself he will be exalted. 
And that's where Jesus goes. When he knows exactly what they were arguing about. He knows exactly what they were in the back trying to, oh, let's just not make sure Jesus hears because this is embarrassing. Again, they're arguing, obviously not in earshot of Jesus, but he's God and knows their hearts and their thoughts. And so then he asks them, he gives them an opportunity to admit it. Like verse 34, or yeah, verse 33, what were you discussing on the way? But in their pride, they kept silent. They didn't want to say, well, we're, we're trying to say, well, I'm better than he is, and then he's better. They didn't say, in their pride, they kept silent. For on the way, they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. They're being Pharisees. Verse 35, and he sat down, and he called the twelve, drew them near. He said to them, if anyone will be first, let him be the last of all and the servant of all. If you want to be first, if you want to be um, the greatest, what is true greatness? Servanthood. Servanthood. Humble servanthood. That is greatness to find. If you want to truly be great, you want to be the most valuable in the kingdom of God, be a humble servant. That's what he says. He must be last of all and servant of all. In 1 Peter 5, 5 and 6, it gives his command to clothe yourselves all of you, with humility toward one another. For, because, the reason we are to clothe ourselves with humility, because God opposes the proud, and he gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so at the proper time he may exalt you. Humble yourselves. You cannot come to the cross, and therefore be one day exalted in the heavenly places, you cannot come to the cross and be saved in your pride. Thinking you are worthy. Thinking you are better than. The foot of the cross is a place only for humility. It's for falling flat on your face and saying, I am unworthy, I am unable, and I have nothing to offer you. That's where we come, with humility. So, the, so it says, humble yourselves therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that he may at the proper time exalt you. And in John chapter 13, Jesus himself says, For I have given you an example, that you also should do just as I have done for you. This is just after he washed the disciples' feet. Right? And Peter, oh, no, 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 don't do it. Like, Peter made it about him. Right? And Jesus is like, no, you must. Truly, and then he, gives, he goes on to say, Give, follow the example I gave you. It carries on in John 13. Truly, truly, Jesus said, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, Jesus, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Humble yourselves. Stoop. Get low for the sake of other people. Don't think yourself too greatly. Philippians chapter 2 puts it really well in terms of what we're supposed to be. What is this greatness defined is humble servanthood. Philippians 2, verses 3 to 11. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not to his own interests, not only look to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among you, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, 
being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, because he humbled himself, therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He humbled himself, therefore, God highly exalted him. He took on the form of man. He, he, become, he became low. He put himself in a place of lowliness to be like us, to serve us in the way that he was designed to do. So I wonder if that's us. If we are willing to uh, do that, to, to be the servant of anyone that God calls us to be. Because this is what true greatness is defined by, as Jesus said to his disciples. If you want to be great... You must be last. Don't put yourself first. Like people who think like in the corporate world, well, you got to, you know, have the best this and put yourself first and dog eat dog, right? Like trample everybody else so that you can get there. That's not the way that Christ has said it. He said, you must be last. Put everybody else first. Let them go. God will reward that. God will honor that. And you must be servant of all. Of all. Not just those that you like or those that are easy. Servant of all. Servant of your enemies. Servant of the hardest cases you can imagine. Serve them. So then the question for us that we can be asking this week is that, well, how can I live in this humble servanthood this week? Well, you can ask, well, how can you stoop this week? How can you come down this week from where you are? Maybe it's a socioeconomics, right? Like, well, you're middle class. Well, how can you stoop this week? Is there any way that you can stoop? Uh, to come down, to come beside, to live amongst, to, to be amongst, to, to befriend, to walk beside someone of a different class than you. How can you stoop as Jesus stooped? How can you sacrifice this week? Give up what is yours and might even make a name for you. Give it up for the sake of someone else. That's servanthood. And then how can you show preference for others? How can you prefer one another? How can you put others Ahead of you, consider them more significant than yourselves. Consider, look not only to your own interests, but the interests of others through sacrifice and then through showing preference. How do you show preference to someone else? There's only one thing left. Someone else can have it. That's a simple thing. How do we humble ourselves in such a way to say, I'm not worthy? And I'm going to show that by, by stooping and saying, well, I'm not better than. I'm not better than anyone. How can we sacrifice and say, well, I don't need to build my kingdom. I want to be able to contribute to the needs of others. And how can we show preference? Like, well, there's something I would have preferred. Well, I'll let you pick or I'll let you decide. I'll let you do whatever. That's humility. That's servanthood. That's where we start is this humble servanthood. And the way we get there is by admitting and seeing the pride that's in us. Allowing the Holy Spirit to expose the areas of our life that are full of pride or even hinted with pride. The things that we maybe didn't think were pride. We need God to show us, reveal it to us in our hearts. We don't want to boast in, uh, in ourselves openly. Most people who say they're Christians don't. But a lot of us do struggle with the other kind of pride. The, the diminishing kind of pride. The pity me pride. The, the pride that says, oh no, 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 that's not great. Let's be aware of that. 
And then let's, in our weaknesses, in our, what we want to deflect, let us use that instead to point others to Christ. Rather than saying, woe is me, say, wow, look at him. Yes, you notice something in me? That's good. And I see that and I recognize that I've noticed it too. And I'm tempted to try to hide it. I'm tempted to try to, um, to diminish it, but I don't want to diminish it because I don't want God to be diminished as the gift giver, as the one who is working this in and through me. I don't want that diminished. And so I'm going to take the praise that you've given me, or I'm going to take the compliment, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to notice what you notice, and I'm going to say, yeah, I'm so thankful to God that he supplies, that he gifts. Even though I'm weak, he is strong. Uh, we need God's help to be able to manage those situations in a way that honors him. Because diminishing is not honoring to him. So then how do we then take that uh, temptation to diminish and instead turn it to praise? Praise for ourselves and praise from other people. And Matthew tells us, let your good works, uh, let your light shine before others. It doesn't say hide it under a bushel, right? Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. We're not, yes, the Bible does say, let, you know, let your good deeds be done in secret. Don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. That is to fight against the temptation to be boastful. Oh, look how great I am. I donated $100,000 to charity last year. No one cares. No one cares. But it doesn't mean that you don't donate $100,000 to charity if you can. You just don't boast in it. And if someone noticed and said, oh, congratulations, we want your name on the wall, I'd be like, well, can we make it something about like Jesus' name or something? <laughs> I don't know. It's something you've got to struggle with in these situations, but it's not a case of diminishing what God is able to do in and through you. Don't diminish it. Let God get the glory from it. Admit it. And, and you've got to struggle with those conversations because they are so various in all the different ways, whether it's a, an ability you have, whether it's a strength or a gift you have, whether it's generosity you've been uh, enabled to do, whether it's no matter what it is, when someone praises you, compliments you, you have to wrestle with God. How do I turn this in an opportunity to praise you uh, without diminishing that? It's a real struggle. I think that's the greatest struggle for Christians. And so that's something you and I ought to pray about this week. Rather than saying, woe is me, say, wow, look at him in and through this thing. We want to eliminate pride in our life because that pride is what keeps us from being a humble servant. It's what keeps us from being exalted into the highest places in being uh, in, on display for God. Because, you see, pride keeps us from what Jesus was teaching in that ultimate event. is the cross. He was teaching about his suffering, death, and his resurrection. So if we still struggle with pride in any way, it is hindering us from our relationship with God. Because God opposes the proud. Because the proud are self-focused, not God-focused. And so he, he wants that out of our lives that we might draw near to him. He came so that our pride would be not only forgiven, but eliminated, done away with. That pride would no longer have a hold on you. That you could say, I recognize this as pride and I don't want it in my life and I'm not okay with it. He came to die for your pride if you have any. So then let's go to the cross, humble, admitting what we don't know. Admitting where we're weak, admitting our frailties, and, and even bringing before God the things that he has gifted us with that we struggle with. God, how am I supposed to use this for your glory and not for attention to myself? And we never try to move beyond the cross. Because we might recognize the cross is an event where we must be humble. We, we must admit we have nothing. But then don't go beyond that and try to say, well, now I've built my life. 
And now I've built things that I can be proud of or things that I can diminish. Instead, we surrender ourselves fully from the moment that your eyes have been open to the day you die. You surrender yourselves fully to say, God, I am yours. Whether I'm weak, whether I'm strong, whether I have much or I have little, whether I understand or don't understand, I want it all to be yours. And so I'm, I'm bringing my life before you and I'm, I'm asking you to work in and through it and give me the wisdom and the discernment so that I might not be like your disciples in this example, struggling with hidden, hidden pride or, or silent pride and then open pride. I don't want either of God in my life. And so I need you to show me. And I need other Christians to help me. Like, if you struggle with something, again, don't be like the disciples and, oh, I'm just not going to admit it. If you struggle with an area of your life and you're like, hey, I don't know how to manage the fact that God has blessed us financially. How do I manage that without pride? Talk to someone else. Be like, hey, have you ever, hey, have you ever struggled with being too generous? <laughs> no, no, we haven't. No, no, you know. Like, it's going to be a real battle, okay? A real battle to struggle with this temptation. Of, oh, well, I don't want to be proud, but you see how hard it is for Christians? Because even when you want to admit like you need help or something, you're like, well, nobody's told me that they struggle with this because they're also proud. So they're never going to boast about the fact that they're, oh, well, I have this ability that I really struggle with. What? So it's a real struggle. And that's where relationship matters most, right? You can begin to see and, and hear through subtle conversation. You're like, oh, wow, God has really worked in them this way. Maybe I can learn from them, learn with them. Maybe we can do this together. Maybe, uh, maybe I don't understand the gospel. Ask someone, say like, Here's something I've really wrestled with, you know, is the atonement, right? Here, here's something I've really wrestled with is, is death. Whatever it is you may wrestle with, we do not know everything. I do not know everything. I wrestle with things all the time. And so then to be able to admit it to others and, and come in, in humility and say, God, we know that you're the supplier of all things, knowledge, gifts, abilities, everything. And we want it to be yours. And so help me to not, in my pride, keep it to myself. I don't want to keep to myself. I want you to receive glory through my weakness or through my strength. Let that be our cry as we have seen and, and witnessed the disciples fail here. Thanks be to God it was written down. And thanks be to God for Jesus' compassion. Jesus' mercy. He sits them down. He calls them near. And he doesn't harshly treat them in any way. Instead, he treats them with just truth. He just tells them. If you want to be first, if you want to be great in, 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 in God's realm, just be last. Be the servant of all. And then he gives them examples. He shows them. He teaches them. He continues to walk with them. May we come to this Christ admitting our needs as well. Let's do that now in prayer. Oh God, you are amazing in, in all of your wisdom and knowledge that uh, you, you knew each one of us and how we were wired um, from before we were born, and then how we would struggle through our lives, the things we struggle with in this very moment, the areas of our life where we don't really have um, a great grasp on how we're to um, live that area of our life, whether it's uh, a pride we struggle with. But either way, God, we want to be those who are humble servants. The example that you left for us in Christ, we want to be like him in every way so that you might get glory through our lives. Would you Help us to discern those times and those ways so that um, we would not be those who silently just try to get through this Christian life with struggles, but instead we would be able to admit them and have help with them because you uh, work in and through your people, in and through your word, 
And we're so thankful for that. So help us to humble ourselves so that you might get glory as you shape us and mold us and make us more like your sons and daughters today than we were yesterday. We thank you for this blessing in Christ's name. Amen.